The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your spirit and how uh, your spirit uh, works in our lives and um, transforms us and takes your word uh, to those who have yet to hear it. We are also thankful for your word uh, given to us by your spirit, by your grace. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the testimony of those who have gone before. And now as we look, Lord, at just a couple of stories in the back half of uh, the book of Acts, we ask that you would enliven our own faith and strengthen us, uh, help us to understand you and to know you and to do your will in the world that we live in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we do have basically the whole back half of Acts, Acts chapter 15 to 28 uh, today. For those of us who are uh, new, uh, there's a couple of folks who hadn't been here before and we don't usually cover such a large swath of, uh, of Scripture. Um, but we are covering three lessons, uh, lessons 78, 79, and 80 in the Essential 100. And uh, we're going to move into the letters of Paul uh, with Roman, I believe, especially Romans chapter 8. And we'll, we'll use 7 and 8 um, next. So if you're looking at uh, Essential 100 chapter 81... And it says, read Romans 8. We'll also just go ahead and read Romans 7 and 8. Or just read Romans. Read the whole thing. Like, I can't be bad for you, right? (laughs) Well, we have been looking at the first half of the book of Acts. And we've seen the Holy Spirit come down at Pentecost. We've seen the Holy Spirit go to the Gentiles. Remember, through Peter, uh, Cornelius, the centurion, and, uh, and then Philip with the eunuch. We've seen the Holy Spirit take hold of Saul, the Pharisee, and commission him uh, for ministry as Paul, the Apostle. We saw uh, Paul's first missionary journey to the Gentiles uh, through Asia Minor um, in the area of Galatia. Uh, Last week we talked about, and all along what we've seen is that the gospel message uh, that we are saved by God's grace and the resurrection message that Jesus has been raised from the dead those messages agitate people. Like they are uh, received with glory and honor and, and, um, and uh, gratitude by some, but by others, uh, especially those whom it unseats uh, their power, it agitates in a, in a profound way. Obviously, uh, we cannot get all the way through, um, uh, all the way through all of the chapters uh, today, but what I really want to focus on Uh, Three episodes. Acts chapter 15, that's the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 17, Paul in Athens. And then Acts chapter 21, Paul comes back to Jerusalem. Um, Those are the three areas I want to focus in on. So Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. Uh, The apostles and the elders have come to consider what is required of Gentile Christians. In other words, um, we have this now for several years, Gentile Christian Gentiles have been placing their faith in the Jewish Messiah. This uh, was okay. I mean it was it was a it was a a paradigm shift to be sure for those who were um, uh, for those who were Jewish by upbringing to, to welcome these Gentiles in as brothers and sisters, and we talked a little bit about that. But but now the question is 
arising, particularly because Paul has been uh, teaching, not can Gentiles be Christians or followers of the Jewish Messiah, but can they remain Gentile? In other words, do they have to be circumcised, uh, the male believers, and um, do they have to follow the law? It's a really, it, it's a really important question. Because what is really at stake is the fundamental nature of what Christianity is. What does it mean to be saved by grace? What are we saved from? What are we saved to? And it might seem like not that big of a deal to us because it is, we are so far removed from it. But it was an extraordinarily culturally, ethnically huge deal uh, for them. So we want to turn uh, to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read the first six verses, and, um, and then we're going to uh, talk about um, that a little bit, and then we'll read the next part of the, the story. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching. This is down to Antioch, so uh, it's down it's north, but it's down, I guess, technically down the mountain. From Judea, they were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that's a pretty straightforward teaching. You can be, I mean, you're, we're followers of Jesus, but unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, if you know, if you know Paul, uh, there's probably, probably no small debate for sure. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, so they're they're reporting to these Christians, uh, probably Jews and Gentiles, Samaritans, they're reporting to them, uh, all that they've seen on their first missionary journey up through Galatia. And everybody's so excited about it. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So men came down from uh, Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching these Christian Gentiles, you can't actually be saved from your sins unless you sort of eat the whole enchilada. right? You have to be circumcised. You have to take upon you the sign of the covenant. And you, um, what Jesus, I, I doubt they would have said it like, what Jesus has done is insufficient. Maybe they would have. I don't know. But in their mind, very clearly, in order to follow the Jewish Messiah, you had to become Jewish. I mean, that's actually, I think, is a pretty reasonable assumption on their part. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Again, that's just another one of those things. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put in the, pop in the DVD and watch that one. You know, that, that, was a, uh, that would be great. Um, you know, we often, when we come to our Christian faith, it, it, we bring a lot of, um, of what we had before with us. And, or when we come to a new denomination. 
you, you think about, and I would, would love your sort of your insight on this and what ways we do this, uh, or what ways you've seen people bring either to their Christian faith or just to their denomination. You think about, uh, you know, we talk about genuflecting in the instructed Eucharist. We'll talk about that. That's a Roman Catholic practice, or maybe Anglo-Catholic. If you learned it from an Episcopalian, he's really sort of Anglo-Catholic. Um, and very, very ceremonial in their church. They learned it from Roman Catholics. I mean, it may be several generations removed, but that's a Roman Catholic practice, genuflecting before and after you come into the pew. Um, that is brought from another tradition. It's fine. You can do it. it, 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 it is, if it helps you devotionally, then that's a, a really good thing. What are some other examples of things that have been brought into our faith? The sign of the cross, that's, that may be one thing. I mean, that's, that's ancient. I mean, that was, we might consider it Roman Catholic, but it, it is ancient. I mean, it was probably from the earliest Christians. What else? How about Christmas trees? <laughs> Christmas trees, were, that's a pagan symbol, you know, but we have uh, adopted it to make it a Christian symbol. Wearing a, a cross, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, that was, that's pretty distinctly Christian because it is an instrument of torture uh, and it has special meaning for us. <laughs> it was just the, Luth- the Lutherans that were the ones that had potluck suppers. Yeah, and so yeah, um, they learned that from the Baptists. I hate to break that to you. Um, <laughs> yes, darling. So Darla's saying that, that she knows that the, uh, in the Jewish service they bring the Torah into the middle of the congregation to read it, just like we do with the Gospels. You know, essentially a, a stole like we wear, the, the green uh, or whatever liturgical season appropriate, the stole that we wear, I'm told that, that was basically a Roman necktie. You know, that was just what they wore. That was what gentlemen wore uh, in, in Rome, and it's somehow the church... Uh, thought that looked cool or something. So, um, and they were right. Um, so it's not unusual. I mean, we, you know, we might say, "Well, that's that's not the gospel." You know, you know, and and you're right. It's not the gospel, but it's not unusual for people. It takes some time to kind of root those things out. Uh, these were Pharisees. They were earnest men and probably women as well, um, who were uh, very concerned with honoring God and with the holiness of God's followers. So let's see how it plays out. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. It's very important that it was Peter. I think Luke goes out of his way that it be Peter. This is actually the last time we see Peter in the book of Acts. But I think it's very important that it's Peter. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember, he's talking about Cornelius and what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. 
And God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That is a really important statement. That It was by faith that God cleansed the hearts of the Gentile. Now therefore, says Peter, why are you, speaking to the Pharisee party, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related to what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied. Now this is, as far as I can tell, and as I believe, um, I'd like to do a little more research, but I'm pretty sure this is not James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, but this is James, the brother of Jesus, um, who, uh, who wrote the epistle of James. James, but who became a, a prominent uh, uh, among the uh, apostles and elders. James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Simon, Peter, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, here's if you've read James, James is very concerned with what we are to do, probably a member of the, the Pharisee party in, in some sense. And so it's proper that he roots it in the Old Testament as he makes this quote. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Uh, that is cited from Amos chapter 9. Therefore, so this is James. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read uh, every Sabbath in the synagogues. So, what, what is James talking about? You have this scene, it's intense, emotions are high. Everybody's fighting for what they believe to be the truth. They want to know how to follow God correctly, and they are at odds about how to do that. What are the essentials of the faith? It was a tremendous moment. They were not deciding, uh, could other races worship God? That had been... Declared, God had clearly spoken that uh, that was. But what we're deciding is what are the essential element of what is the essential element of Christianity? Now, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think that if this council had gone the other way and they said, "Yeah, you know, I mean, if it's the Jewish Messiah, they're going to have to be Jewish and they're going to have to become uh, Jewish and follow the law of Moses," I think that Christianity would have just gotten swallowed up in Judaism. And uh, if we are here at all, we would um, have been here on Friday, uh, Friday night. So, um, that, but this was the assumption, this is actually the, the assumption of the Jewish Christians, the early ones, that, that this was just, a, it was a part of Judaism. They weren't trying to become something else, they were trying to become Jewish, truly Jewish, because now we've got the Messiah, 
right? And those who put their faith in the Jewish Messiah should become Jewish. That was their, that was their claim. Um, but they weren't becoming Jewish. They were being baptized, but they weren't receiving the sign of the covenant. They were not being circumcised. They were retaining their ethnic and national identities with integrity, and they were becoming devoted Christians. How could that be? And would it be allowed? Again, again, I think Luke goes out of his way to say that it was Peter who stood up first, because Peter would be eclipsed by Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter would then really become the apostle to the Jews, even though it was through Peter that the Gentiles became uh, uh, first received the word of God. But Peter says, uh, God is doing the work. God has cleansed their hearts by faith, just as he did uh, for us. So, there are some moral restrictions. So, is this compromise? I mean, what is going on? Aren't we saved by grace and not by works? They cannot, they're, they're writing to him. Yes, you're saved by grace. No, you don't have to be circumcised. But hey, by the way, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat food that was strangled. Uh, the, the meat was strangled. And that's because there would um, still be blood in the animal. And don't drink blood. Like, these are pagan things to do. Like, it was no, if the animal was dead, they could just cook it and eat it. No, don't do that. The blood has to drain out. And that was a very important part of Jewish life because it was blood was life. That's very clear in Leviticus. Not only that, you have to refrain from sexual immorality. Also very important. Now, what is going on? My question to you. Why aren't we saved by grace and not by works? Why wouldn't they say, hey, forget it. Just believe in Jesus and that's good. Why are they putting restrictions? Is this a compromise? What's happening? What do you think? How do you separate it? How do you separate? What do you, what do you mean? How do you separate your behavior if you believe in Christ and you really want to follow Him? How do you separate that from being a Christian? Well, uh, Susan's question is, how do you separate your behavior from, from being a, Christ, a Christian? I would say the question is not how do we respond? The question is, where do works fit in in the equation? It's not how should we, should we have good works. Is do our works save us? That's the question. Yes? The, the, the Jewish faith was a moral faith. The Jewish faith was a moral faith, yes? The Roman lifestyle was totally immoral. By Jewish standards, the Roman lifestyle was immoral, yes. I think by our standards, it was pretty immoral. <laughs> but, oh, I'm sorry. Not by Roman standards. I mean, I mean it wasn't by, immoral by Roman standards. They had their no. own standards. You're right. We would consider it immoral. Right. So, uh, but, Just the parts that it, weren't fun. It's the confrontation of two major cultures coming together. Yes. And for somebody like me, those rules were just logic trying to overcome reality. I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, other than we have a certain level of morality and a certain level of living, you should at least try to obtain that level of living. You should try to give up 
your old ways and try to come into a moral world. Okay. Is what the Jewish Messiah represented. All right. Yes, darling. At this point in time, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Right. No New Testament yet. And we later have the writings of John who discusses love as the fulfillment of the law, and also Paul said so. Mm -hmm. um, That, uh, you know, which is also what Jesus said. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or on this, on on this hangs all the law and prophets. Uh, but in terms of uh, of the question, how do we separate our works from our faith? They are integral. It, it's integral. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 11 talks about not just the faith of the of the fathers and mothers that came before, but what that led them to do. The, the action that came out of that faith. You know, by faith, Abraham did. Yeah. By faith, Enoch pleased God sure. and was taken away. All of these things are done by faith, and this is what James later talks about in his, his epistle. But in Romans, where it tells us we're saved by grace through faith alone, the very next verse mm-hmm. So we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. So you have to get into Christ Jesus first, and then the works come out of that. And that's the good works are the result of grace. If we have grace, then grace is transforming. And I think that's what Paul is trying to say in chapter 8. You know, we, we talk about how we're not saved by works. But works are, works the, are the, nat- natural fruit of what comes out natural. of faith. I think what's going on here, the, <coughs> the apostles are not saying that you're saved. They're saying you're not saved by circumcision. But nor are they saying you're, you will be saved, but as long as you don't eat food, sacrifice to idols, and are sexually uh, moral. What they're saying is that, remember he says, in every city, Moses has people who are reading him. There are, Christ, there are going to be Jewish Christians everywhere um, because this is the Jewish Messiah. And if the Gentiles continue these things, it's just going to create unnecessary conflict within the church and it's going to divide the church right from the beginning. And so don't, in your freedom in Christ, don't create a stumbling block for these brothers and sisters. That's, I think, really what's going on. All these things that you said are absolutely true. He is creating order, but what they're really creating is common ground. There, there's no question. Um, they're, they're, not, they're, having them not, um, they're having them avoid unnecessary offense and division. Paul would talk about to the Ephesians, bear with one another uh, in love. Yes, Kate. The things that he specifically says are part of the pagan ritual and worship. And That's correct. And by avoiding them, you are avoiding any part of that. Thing. That's right. You're, you are uh, avoiding these pagan ritual acts and avoiding the sexual immorality of the day, uh, that's not a, those, that avoidance is not a saving act, but it is, uh, number one, remember what Paul said in, in uh, Corinthians, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, right? You know, so it, it, it's not going to separate you from Christ, but it's sure it's going to bring you closer. There's a reason that the law is given. That's good for our good. And so, uh, so again, it's, a, it's 
not what gets us there, but it is what uh, it is a becomes a boundary of grace uh, for us to live in that way. All things are lawful, but not everything's helpful. Uh, let me ask you this: if, Can you have fellowship with a Christian teetotaler? You see, you see that you see the you know, someone who says who says I am. Uh, well, I mean, I'm just speaking to a room full of Episcopalians, but you know, I just um, you know, I, I think that if you know, so someone comes over and they they love the Lord and, and but they they are dead set that drinking alcohol is wrong. Should you say, you know, forget it? I'm, I'm I brought a bottle of wine just to prove you wrong. You know, like that, can can we do that? Should we do that? Yeah, my my aunt Ruby is a teetotal uh-huh. Baptist. Yeah. So you know that's right that's right we i remember one time we were in seminary and we had this uh african couple coming over for dinner i was so excited i was so honored his name um i think it was michael and rose were their names and he had i mean he'd like been he had scars on his back from from being persecuted i was just so i wanted to sit at his feet i listened we created this nice dinner got this nice bottle of wine opened it up had it ready you know breathing before they got there so just right well we don't drink alcohol I was like, well, I do. And I, no, no, I, 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 no, yeah. no, of course, I was just, you know, I was, I was a little disappointed because I was just, I and mean, that's not what I envisioned, and yet I just, oh, what do you do? You, you put it away and just enjoy what you have, you know, so. If that's going to uh, be a stumbling block for them, then. Yeah. You don't create stumbling blocks. Right. That in your, you know, your, just because it's not a sin doesn't mean that it isn't an offense to, to someone else. So let's stay away uh, from these things. Now, some of the things, I mean, like sexual immorality, I think, I think we, that, that, that is uh, important. And, but all these things have to do with our body, right? Don't put, but what we put into our body or what we do with our body are important before God. And all these things. Yes, Jeff. So I'm going to take a different approach to your story. If we start with love, then what's the difference whether you, had, whether you poured yourself a bottle of wine or not? If we start with love, what's the difference? Now, they they could come the other direction. They could certainly they have to drink. I'm just saying, what's the difference? No, they, they yeah no they could say, well we we don't. They could certainly say, I'm totally comfortable with it. I'm not going to, but I'm totally comfortable with it. That would be the other coming in the other direction, and I hope that they would. But I'm not really. I guess the from my standpoint, I, I'm speaking for the one who's is fine with it and and not going to throw my freedom in their face. I'm also, I hope that if there's, I mean, there's plenty of times where I uh, interact very lovingly and warmly with people who are doing things I think are just absolutely wrong. Sure. And, and um, that's, that's called being a pastor. And so, um, the, um, and, uh, and, and so, I mean, I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm, I will try, we'll always need to create common ground, whichever divide. I actually really appreciate you bringing that up. We need, whatever side we're on there. Yes. Yes. They already have received the Holy Spirit. And so they got the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, patience, self-control. All that comes with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? Well, sure. But let, let's, I mean, let's take for, let's take for granted that the Pharisees, the, those from the Pharisee party, that they had also received the Holy Spirit. That that's how they believed in Christ. They just weren't comfortable with what they were, and so it, it took a lot of, of doing. Now, the Pharisees, uh, Christians, they should have, um, and hopefully, I mean, ultimately the church did, whether those individuals did or, or not, but they, the church gave on, on these things. Well, 
we could go on and on, and um, but I, if we do, I'm not going to get to Athens. Um, so let me let's let's turn to uh, chapter 16, where um, is that right? 16? No, oh no, 17. Excuse me. Um, where Paul is uh, going has gone to Athens. So he's in his second missionary journey. He's gotten his tail kicked up in Thessalonica. He went to Berea. They were great up over in Berea. And then the Thessalonians uh, who ran him out of town, showed up in Berea because they heard he was there. And anyway, he fled and um, for his own safety, ends up in Athens. Now, Paul is a scholar. He's a Roman citizen. He's a Greek citizen. He grew up speaking Greek, though. And, and uh, here he comes for the first time to the city of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Just one of the greatest cities in the world. It had been the greatest city in the world. It's probably in this, at this point second uh, to Rome for sure in the Mediterranean, but still a city of prominence, a city of uh, literature, art, uh, commerce, religion, and philosophy. So this is what happens. He, uh, Paul is waiting uh, for, for his uh, companions to show up. He's just by, he's killing time. Like he's just, they're like, Paul, stay in your hotel room. And you don't get it up. Paul doesn't stay in his hotel room. He goes out to the market and to the synagogues and starts debating people. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange thing to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's all they wanted, just to debate and discuss the new philosophies. Interesting what it says. Paul, was he got there, he wasn't angry at what he saw. He said his spirit was provoked within him. I think the NIV says he was greatly distressed. He was sad. He was spiritually moved. And he didn't stand up to the Athenians and say, flee! Turn from your wicked ways! Right? They would have run him out of town. Um, He said, think. Think and believe. He says he reasoned in the synagogues and in the marketplace. So he went to the Agora marketplace, and he went to the synagogues. So anybody who would listen to him, he just wanted to talk about Jesus. And, but he's, he's having a cordial uh, debate, and it's very interesting. He, uh, well, let me, let me read it, and then a couple of remarks, and then we're going to have to go. Keep running over today. This is what he says. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For, and now He does something remarkable, He quotes from their poets. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Another quote. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked Him. But others said, we will hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst. So, and some believed, and some came back later. Interesting. He's not saying, culture bad, Jesus good. Right? He's not creating a dichotomy here. Nor is he saying, culture good, Jesus basically the same thing. He's not watering down, he's not syncretizing uh, the gospel. He's saying, here is how the messages of your culture, including the answers that your own poets uh, give to the questions of the day, here's how these things point to Jesus. He's taking the tools of their culture that he finds there, and he is showing them that they're actually asking for the one true God. Who might we look to as the poets of our day? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody, said Bob. That'll preach, brother. You got to serve somebody. Yeah, who else? Or what else? I have some friends who are evangelists and missionaries, and they travel the world. And my the wife part of the team carries a copy of the Quran with her on her ebook in case she has the opportunity to witness to a Muslim person. Mm-hmm. And she actually preaches Jesus from the Quran mm-hmm. because he's very present in that book. Sure he is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and has been able to connect by accepting them exactly the way they are and showing them how their own holy book points to Jesus. Yeah. And that's what came to mind when you were talking about what Paul did. Well, and that's, you know, it, it really goes back to the Jerusalem Council. Paul is not trying to create Jews, he's trying to create followers of Christ. <laughs> you know, in the same way, if you, it, a lot of the um, African preachers wear uh, white button down shirts, short sleeve with a tie, because that's what the missionaries did. You know, they, they came to them. Um, and, and yet, I think it's so important to realize that, that Jesus redeems every society. He's not, he's not trying to, and that's what was going on in the Jerusalem Council, is he's not trying to, we're not trying to create Westerners, we're trying to get Christians. So you can be fully integrated in the Asian society, or the African society, or the South American society, and be a total follower of Jesus. I mean, um, there's some great stories from missionaries about how they have 
seen Jesus redeem a society without making it Western or without making it anything other than what it is. It's just now redeeming and believing in God as uh, the Son of God. So we can take the uh, instruments of our day. The best resource that I know of, I'm sure there's lots of great ones out there, is called Mockingbird. I think I may have talked about the Mockingbird before. It's mbird.com. It's kind of a blog format. It's a little zany sometimes, honestly. Um, but a lot of times they take secular things and talk about how that is actually a longing for uh, the gospel. Um, and, and there's all sorts of ways. Look, the, the movies, uh, the TV shows of our day, they are, they're asking questions. We may not love the answer they give. They may not be giving Christian answers. But we need to show what the answer is. We need to be able to discern what the question is that's being asked. And then how does Christ answer that? I do not have time to get to Acts 21 today. Maybe we'll catch up a little bit on it uh, next week as we come back for um, Romans chapter 8. Assuming there's still a building here, um, uh, which I assume so. Please be safe in the storm. Uh, we're ha- about to have church. If you haven't been to church yet, is an instructed Eucharist. is uh, not our normal sermon. We'll go through each of the um, parts of the service and talk about what they what they mean. God bless you. We'll see you uh, next week. We're we'll seeing church.